Hare Krishna. Welcome from the hills of West Virginia. Mother Krishna Priya's parents are here with us today again. Thank you very much for coming, being with us. Thank you very much. My name is Rupa Nogadas. It is very nice to be with you to talk about the Srimad Bhagavatam, the most amazing scriptural text in the world. And we're talking today, our discussion is going to be coming from the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, the, uh, the first canto, chapter 5. This chapter is entitled, Narada's Instructions on Srimad Bhagavatam. And he's going to be speaking to Srila Dwaipayan, Krishna Dwaipayan Vedavyasadeva who is the writer of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And there are numerous conversations involved in the Srimad Bhagavatam. So it's a very interesting piece of literature, consisting of, of 12 cantos. So before we begin our discourse today, um, I'm going to invite you to do what I have done before I left my house this morning, and that is turn my phone off. Of course, if, if you can certainly leave it on vibrate so that if you get a call or get a text message that's coming in, you know that you need to take it. And you're welcome to do so. Before we begin, as we usually do, we will have an invocation to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Sri Krishna, Radha Krishna. We're going to be talking today about crows and swans, just to give you a little foretaste. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jai Gopi Janavallabha Girivardhari Gopi Janavallabha Girivardhari Yashoranandana Brajajana Ranjana Yashoranandana Brajajana Ranjana Yamuna Tiravanachari 
Paripitaka Charja Hasto Tarasata Sri Sri Mada's Divine Grace Avai Taranatavinda Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj Srila Prabhupada Ki Jayom Vishnu Pada Paramahansa Paripitaka Charja Hasto Tarasata Sri Sri Mada's Divine Grace Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Gosami Maharaj Srila Prabhupada Ki Ananta Kuti Vaishnavarinda Ki Iskan BBT founder of charge of Srila Prabhupada Ki. Iskan Guru Param Paraki. Sri Rup Sri Sanatan Bhattaraganat Sri Jiva Gopal Bhattadasaraganat Satkosami Prabhu Ki. Namacharja Srila Haridas Dakur Ki. Premsekaho Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunitanda Sri Arvaita Gadadhar Sri Vasadi Gora Bhaktarinda Ki. Shishi Radha Krishna, Gopa, Gopinath, Shamakun, Radhakun, Girigovadana ki. Shri Vandamadam ki. Shri Maturadam ki. Shri Jagannath Puridam ki. Shishi Radha Kalachandidam ki. Ganga Devi ki. Jamunamai ki. Tulsi Devi ki. Bhakti Devi ki. Sambhaveda Bhakta Vrinda ki. Brihat Madanga, Transcendental Book and Prasadam Distribution ki. Nitai Gora Premananda, Hari Hari Bowl, all glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories, all glories, all glories to Sri Guru and Sri Goranga. Namo Vishnapadaya Krishna Pastaya Bhutale, Shumati Bhakti Vedanta Swamini Tinamade, Namaste, Saraswati Devi, Godabari Pachanini, Navashesha, Shinavari Pastata Deshatanini. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivanarotamam Devim Sadasatim Yasan Tato Jayam Udiruyat Nastapreshavabhadreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavatyuttamashloke Bhakti Bhavari Nashtiki Rantarashibal Bhagavatam Ki Jai Once again, if you have your uh, you have your books with you, your textbooks, or if you're at home and you have a copy of the Srimad Bhagavatam, I invite you to take out your first canto and Turn to the fifth chapter, 
And we're going to be reading from text number 10. So if you can, please read along with us. And if you happen to have your cell phones, you can get database dot something or other and, uh, and get pull up uh, the, the text. We have it written on the board here in our temple room. So let's let's read the word the text line by line. Layad vachas chitra padam yasu. Jagat pavitram pragnita karhichit. Let's do that again. I missed a word in there. Jagat pavitram pragrinita karhichit. Tadvayasam tirtamushanti manasa. Nayatra hangsa niramantusikshaya. Nayadvachaschitraparam harilyasu. Jagat pavitram pragni nitya karhichit. Tadvayasam tirtam mushanti manasa. Nayatra hangsa nirmantyukshikshaya. Nayatra hangsa nirmantyukshikshaya. Chant, please. Jagat 
Word-for-word translation, na, not, yet, that, vacha, vocabulary, chitra padam, decorative, hari, of the Lord, yasya, glories, jagat, universe, pavitram, sanctified, pagrinita, described, Karhichit, hardly, tat, that, varyasam, crows, tiyatam, place of pilgrimage, ushyanti, think, manasa, saintly persons, na, not, yatra, where, hangsa, all perfect beings, Niramanti, take pleasure. Usikchaya, those who reside in the transcendental abode. That's a that's a a nice uh, meter that this verse is written in. Nice tune. I like that. I like that one. Translation, by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai. Those words which do not describe the glories of the Lord, who alone can sanctify the atmosphere of the whole universe, are considered by saintly persons to be likened to a place of pilgrimage for crows, since the all-perfect persons are inhabitants of the transcendental abode. They do not derive any pleasure there. Repeat with me. Those words which do not describe the glories of the Lord, who alone can sanctify the atmosphere of the whole universe, are considered by saintly persons to be like unto a place of pilgrimage for crows, since the all-perfect persons are inhabitants of the transcendental abode, they do not derive any pleasure there. And purport by His divine grace, Srila Prabhupada. Crows and swans are not birds of the same feather because of their different mental attitudes. The fruitive workers are passionate or passionate men are compared to the crows, whereas the all-perfect saintly persons are compared to the swans. The crows take pleasure in a place where garbage is thrown out, just as the passionate, fruitive workers take pleasure in wine and women in places for gross sense pleasure. The swans do not take pleasure in the places where crows are assembled for conferences and meetings. They are instead seen in the atmosphere of natural scenic beauty where there are transparent reservoirs of water 
nicely decorated with stems of lotus flowers and variegated colors of natural beauty. That is the difference between the two classes of birds. Nature has influenced different species of life with different mentalities, and it is not possible to bring them up to the same rank and file. Similarly, there are different kinds of literature for different types of men of different mentality. Mostly, the the market literatures which attract men of the crows categories are literatures containing refused remnants of sensuous topics. They are generally known as mundane talks in relation with the gross body and the subtle mind. They are full of subject matter described in decorative language, full of mundane similes and metaphorical arrangements. Yet with all that, they do not glorify the Lord. Such poetry and prose on any subject matter is considered decoration of a dead body. Spiritually advanced men who are compared to the swans do not take pleasure in such dead literatures, which are sources of pleasure for men who are spiritually dead. These literatures and the modes of passion and ignorance are distributed under different labels, but they can hardly help the spiritual urge of the human being, and thus the swan-like spiritually advanced men have nothing to do with them. Such spiritually advanced men are also called manasa because they always keep up the standard of transcendental voluntary service to the Lord on the spiritual plane. This foolish, I'm sorry, this completely forbids fruitive activities for gross bodily sense satisfaction or subtle speculation of material egoistic mind. Social literary men, scientists, mundane poets, theoretical philosophers, and politicians who are completely absorbed in the material advancement of sense pleasure are all dolls of the material energy. They take pleasure in a place where rejected subject matters are thrown. According to uh, Swami Sridhar, this is the pleasure of the prostitute hunters. But literatures which describe the glories of the Lord are enjoyed by the Paramahansas who have grasped the essence of human activities. Omagyana timidandasya gyananjana salakaya chakshurun militam jena tasmai sri gurave Sri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Nenabutale Swayam Rupahakadamaya Dadati Swavarantikam Bandeham Sri Guru Sri Dutta Parakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavams Cha Sri Rupam Sagvajatam Sahagana Raghunatan Vitam Tam Sajivam Savadvaitam Savaduttam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitamscha He Krishna Karunasando Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Radhe Brindavadeshwari Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye 
Vanchakalpatarubhyascha kripasanubhyevacha patitanam bhavanebhyo vaisnavibhyo namo namah Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadha Sri Vasadi Gora Bhaktarinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Gantara Shimur Bhagavatam Ki Jai Nama Om Vishnu Vadai Krishna Pastaya Bhutale Srimate Tamal Krishna Gosamaniti Namane Beautiful text here um, bringing, bringing out the difference between literatures which are composed by Ordinary persons in the modes mainly of passion and ignorance, sometimes in the mode of goodness. And the and the difference between those literatures and the Srimad Bhagavatam. So we we see a comparison here of the crows and swans, and this this comparison is as we we've heard it spoken many, many times during the past several years. As a matter of fact, this this uh, this is uh, the year twenty twenty. And my wife and I first came to Dallas community in 1980. So this is officially our 40th year here in this community. Uh, it's our great pleasure to be in one place this long. And you've probably been at New Vrindavan about that long too, haven't you? About that? Or maybe longer? 78? Yeah, we made it, my wife and I made a trip up to New Vrindavan probably in 1974. And we stayed all of about one hour there. I think, I think this, I think that we, we were completely unfamiliar. I'd been reading quite a lot by that time. We, I got my first book in June of 73. But, uh, uh, when, when we went, went there, um, we did get to meet, uh, 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 His Holiness Kirtananand Swami, who, uh, who had somebody, he spoke with us just for a few moments and then uh, had someone go and get us prasadam. That was that was his instruction, and uh, besides that, no one ever invited us to see the temple or see the deities, <laughs> so we didn't we didn't get to see Shishi Radha Vrindavan Chandra then. Um, but anyhow, you know things happen in, at, for a reason, and, and they happen in due course. And while I was there, I felt I felt um, the urge the to uh, make a donation. So uh, a couple of nice devotees who were manning a book table loaded me down with a few books, one of which was the Bhagavad Gita. And I took it back to our our place in Tennessee, just north of Knoxville, Tennessee, about an hour's drive away, where we had been living since 1973, and we were to stay there until 1977. Uh, but we had, we had moved out to this place to get away from the crows of the city. Uh, I'd, I'd headed up to here. In, uh, it, with a with a work environment that I was in, and uh, I just I felt like I had to get away. So we bought a piece of land, 24 acres of land, uh, north of Knoxville, and it had a three room shanty on it, three rooms and a path, not a bath, but a path. And so we got our water from a spring which was down below the hill, beautiful flowing stream, and and. Uh, we had an outhouse and, and this little place, and there we stayed for about four years. We uh, had our first child just before we moved out there, 
And right at the moment, at the time we were leaving, we we had our second child who was just about to be born. So it was a, it was a very wonderful time of life. So we get to, we got to see some uh, a, a difference between uh, the people out there. There were people that we were living around, small community of people that were kind of scattered out along the valley, and um, we found that some of them had had never been out of that valley to live, and they many of them could remember when electricity first came into the valley. And so it was uh, it was a really pleasant place and. And there was a, uh, we lived on the side of a hill that was about, oh, maybe 600 feet high elevation. And we faced a, a, a mountain, small mountain called Lone Mountain, which was about uh, uh, 1,200 feet high, I guess. And so we were able to see this, the moon come up over Lone Mountain, which is very beautiful on a cold winter night. You could get out and walk, and the air was just crackly. It was cold and, you know, kind of dry. And we could walk up the hill behind our house. So anyhow, this was a really beautiful place. And so uh, it took something pretty powerful to get me away from there. And I read a statement in the Bhagavad Gita, which brought that about. And that was Krishna telling that it's better for one, it's safer for one to perform one's own duty, even though it appeared to be full of fault, than to perform that of another, even though it appeared to be faultless. Something like that. And so I thought, well, now I've been trained in a certain way. I've been trained as an electrical engineer, and here I am taking up the lifestyle of someone who is just a, a, just a poor farmer. And it was really nice. <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> Uh, but I felt that they, there was, by that time I'd read quite a bit in Prabhupada's books. And so I felt that I should, I should, uh, go back to what I had been doing, what I've been trained for, and just see what happens. And so by following that one, uh, that one piece of advice of Krishna in Bhagavad Gita, then, uh, we moved out. We moved out from one setting to another setting. But, you know, we found that there were, there was a lot, there was some similarities in both places and some differences. Uh, one of the differences between crows and swans has been pointed out. It's desiring different types of foodstuffs. And we, we remember reading in, in the text or in the, um, in the purport that uh, that uh, Krishna gives uh, gives them different mentalities. That's the difference between swans and crows. They're both birds, and they you know they're built in somewhat of the same way. They got feathers and stuff, but but they have different mentalities. So uh, th- those who have the mentality of the crows then choose diets that are generally based on animal flesh. Generally, generally, that's that's. I'm making kind of a kind of a broad uh, um, um, uh, description here, taking a broad description of the persons who are or have a crow-like mentality. But generally, we see we have seen that they have, and and there are exceptions to this rule too. Uh, that they base their diets on animal flesh, and if you if you have access to the internet and you've done some surfing. You have seen perhaps uh, the way that animals are kept in the United States, especially they're kept in in very large places and and uh, all hurt together, herded together, and they're they're the whole purpose in in keeping the animals there is to eventually slaughter them and eat their flesh, and so horrible conditions 
both in the way they're kept, in the way they're kept before before they're taken to slaughter, and then the conditions are even more horrible when they go into the slaughterhouse. So it it it, it is said that uh, if if slaughterhouses had windows, had glass glass walls. Uh, so that they were transparent, uh, everyone would take up a vegetarian diet if they could see what happened. Uh, it has also been said that if a if the uh, the person in the house that does the cooking, they used to sew the lady of the house, but now uh, we many times have as many men doing the cooking in the house as we do ladies. That if they had to go out and and kill their own animals and prepare the flesh of the animals for their family to eat, that there would be a lot more vegetarians in the world. Uh, growing up in the country, I also got to experience that, that, uh, that way that animals were slaughtered and, and they were prepared. And, you know, it's a really gross thing and it's a horrible thing, but children become accustomed to it. They, they learn to accept that this is just the way things are. This is the way life is. And so it's a very fortunate child who doesn't have to grow up in that kind of situation in which animal flesh is being prepared. So this is, this is the diet of crows. And on the other hand, we see that, uh, that um, the swans find their happiness in eating pure things. So swan-like people then find their happiness in eating uh, products that are made of pure milk, preferably that which is, is coming from protected cows. If a person is very fortunate, then you can get a himsa milk, or a milk which is not produced with violence. And, and also uh, vegetables and fruits and grains, those things which can be grown on the earth. And the earth is such a wonderful, wonderful place. You know, besides what the human beings have done to it, it's really a beautiful, wonderful place. It has all the ingredients that are required for us to have perfectly satisfying and peaceful lives. Uh, so it's a lot more peaceful type of setting to be in an agrarian environment in which animals are not killed. But, of course, throughout the world, most agrarian environments, means farming environments, uh, have, have, uh, they depend partially on animal slaughter. And so even the dairies nowadays... Uh, uh, it, they they uh, they have to do something with the offspring of cows. You know, the cow has to give give birth to a, to a, a, a calf in order to produce milk, just as is true with the other mam- mammalian species uh, that they give milk. So they have to have a, a child or an offspring to give milk, and. Um, Dairies, which uh, could be very peaceful places, and generally if you see them advertised, they're, ever t- they're showing some beautiful black and white cows out there on the green grass. And by, you, you know, that, that old saying, how, how is it that a black and white cow can eat green grass and give white milk and yellow butter? So it's it's such a it's such a pleasant environment. I had an uncle who was who had a small dairy, but he was like all the rest, you know. When they when the bull calves were born, they would let them get a little bit of weight on them, then they'd sell them, and eventually they would be given to slaughter. And the cows also, even the cows that give milk, which are, should be treated as our mothers because they give us milk from their bodies. 
uh, there, you know, if they don't make production, if they don't give a certain amount of milk that is required by the dairy as their standard, then they send them off to slaughter as well. So it's a horrible, horrible place. And so that's the difference between then the mode of ignorance and the mode of goodness. But in the mode of goodness, there is also a lot of times some passion and ignorance and aspersed. It's also there. Uh, So a person really, uh, the only way to improve on that situation is to become a devotee of Krishna. Because a devotee of Krishna accepts all the foodstuffs that are prepared for and offered to Krishna. And in order to offer something to Krishna, it has to be pure. It can't be contaminated, or it should not be. Of course, Prabhupada has pointed out to us when somebody asked him, Srila Prabhupada, should we offer only organic fruits and vegetables to the Lord? And Prabhupada said, in the age of Kali, everything is polluted. The air is polluted, the water is polluted, the, the earth is polluted. So in other words, he was saying, you're not going to be able to afford to, to get organic. And you might not always have them have access to them. And we have to offer Krishna foodstuffs. You know, that's one of the requirements of having deities. They must be offered nice foodstuffs. It's like, so here in, in our, our temple here in Dallas, as in many temples elsewhere, there are something like six offerings a day, six food offerings a day to their lordships. And it takes a lot of dedication to do that because with our busy work schedules, a lot of times householders are, have two people in their houses working to make a livelihood, just to pay the bills, you know, to maintain some modicum of standard of living. Uh, with all of that, then it takes certain uh, few persons who are dedicated, and we have such persons in this community who have dedicated the last more than 40 years to the service of Shishi Radha Kalachandra here in Dallas, by in particular Mother Chandavali, and she's been glorified so much that I'm I'm a little hesitant to heap any more glorification on her because I'm afraid that you know her children and the other people working with her might have trouble dealing with her if her ego ego gets too big. <laughs> but anybody who knows Mother Chandavali knows that that's that's no longer a problem. Ego is not a problem. And also we see that the crows and swans live in different kinds of settings. And when we think about swan-like people and crow-like people, we find that those that have the mentality of crows generally choose cluttered, dirty places. And this can take, this can happen in the city or in the country. I've seen it both places. Uh, just just one block away on the street that I live on over there, there's a couple of houses that are rental properties and 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 there's a vacant lot and and the place is just just always messy you know it's thank you it's hard to understand how someone can live not only with that stuff directly around their house but even in the lot next to them so we see that in the country there's there's quite often a lot of clutter and and just dirty dirty uh, living standards and but we see that also when I drive out to the our farm, which is about forty five minute drive from here, out to Radhanath's place, Radhanath Prabhu's place, uh, we pass by some places that look like mansions on the hillside. They're so beautiful, and and the the you know the fields are look like they're sculptured like a, a golf course. And and then there are other places which are right next to the highway, and they they've got so much junk around them. You wonder, is it possible for anybody to live there? 
So we, we see we see that crow-like mentality in people in both out in the country and in the city. And so therefore, when the devotees move into a place, generally the place will get cleaned up some, as it did here in this community. When we moved here in this community in 1979, 1980, uh, these houses were just wrecks. You know, they were, a lot of them were the old boat arc stumps that they were used as a foundations. They were sinking into the earth. Some of the houses that, you know, the floor joists were practically on the ground. And there were rats and there were roaches and there were mice and there were skunks and there were raccoons and possums living around in these places. And even in, even the house that I purchased that I, and my wife and I lived in, are still living in. Uh, it had an, uh, a front porch that ha- was open underneath, and there, there was an old dog that would that would live under there. And when when the guys came to rework our foundation, they had to get a a, a, a person. A, a, what do you call it? An exterminator, a pest to get rid of pests. I had to get him to spray all under my house because there were so many fleas from that dog that was living there. So this was the kind of situation that we moved into in 19. So what that means then is that uh, devotees can can move into any kind of situation at all, and it's sometimes hard to bear. Um, it's very difficult. It was, as a matter of fact, that was one of the one of the hardest times of my of my life is moving my my wife and kids here from East Tennessee, living out in the mountains where things were clean and and pure uh, to some extent, and moving them in here to East Old East Dallas, which is one of the most wretched places in the city of Dallas. And yet, look what has happened now. You go up and down the street, nice nice little houses that have been here. Some houses have been here for 80, 100 years. Last year, my house turned 100 years old. This used to be in a, a pecan plantation, and they started uh, building houses in it after some time. So we have one of those old pecan trees living right, uh, living. It's still behind, right behind my house, and it's probably about three feet or so in diameter. Big. It's a really big tree. Of course, it's probably reaching the, getting close to the end of its life, but we're doing the best we can to keep it alive, you know, keep it uh, from rotting and having to cut it down. Uh, so anyhow, this, the, the, the nature of this place when we first moved here, there were, there were practically nothing but old white women who were widows, uh, who were living here and they'd lost their husbands or maybe had never had a husband. And the houses were just in, in so bad condition that it would not be possible for any any person who had any dignity at all to live in them. And yet the devotees moved in and cleaned them up as best they could. And they lived in them and until they got to the position that they could own the houses. And a, lot of the, a lot of devotees bought houses in this area, bought some from the temple, temple at one time owned about 22 properties, I think, around here, uh, which we bought at ridiculously low prices, sometimes less than $10,000 we, we spent for houses. And and yet those ho- those houses which were in such bad, some of them been, have been torn down, especially back here in the back of the temple, to build our parking lot. But, uh, but most of the houses in, in this area were just despicable. Uh, nobody who had any couth, 
<laughs> would live in one of those houses. And yet the devotees moved into them. And they cleaned them up as best they could. And they lived there. And some, believe it or not, some of them stayed. And some of them continue staying in this community now for over 40 years, which is pretty amazing. And so the, the whole community has been transformed by the presence of Radha Kalachanji in it. They came and they chose to sit down or stand here in this temple room at a time when the whole community around was nothing but just a de- degraded, wretched mass where only alley cats should live. And we did have skunks living under the houses. And we had skunks that would come into the temple building sometimes through openings. In fact, you know, eventually we got all that closed up. And, you know, we haven't had skunks here for probably 20 years. But we still have raccoons and we have opossums living in the neighborhood. And how they survive is beyond me. Anyhow, somehow they do it. But this, this is, we talked about first about the kind of different kinds of foodstuffs that, that crow-like persons eat and those that swan-like persons eat. And of course the devotees then are like the Paramahamsas. They believe in eating only foodstuffs which have been offered first in sacrifice with the Lord. Yagyashishta to the Lord. And we, even though they might move into a place that is very degraded and, and there are a lot of places around the planet that devotees have gone and lived and sacrificed by living there, uh, that, that eventually they, you know, by the presence of the devotees and by the presence of the Supreme Lord, they, they, they come, they become very nice. So that's the, the swan-like nature of the devotees that they accept only places in which other spiritual people live because it's so hard living outside a community of devotees once you get accustomed to living inside a community where there are devotees. And those of you who have just been here for not such a long time, if you've been here for less than 10 years, then uh, maybe maybe you, you remember how it was living on the outside and having nothing around you but people who were just interested in gross sense gratification. And there are different kinds of pleasures then that also that the crow-like persons and the swan-like persons like. The crow-like persons want those kinds of activities that, that are pleasing to the base desires like clubs and bars and brothels. And, 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 uh, you know, those are places where they simply, uh, who was it giving a lecture the, yesterday or day before? Somebody here in the temple. It was either, um, Ananda Loka Prabhu or maybe it was, uh, His, His, His Holiness Giriraj Swami was, was, was talking about, um, uh, how people can, uh, people can choose the kinds of settings for their pleasure. Uh, that simply, uh, they're simply, uh, 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 brief respites from, uh, suffering. In other words, they, they, happiness to them means then just a brief, uh, getting away from suffering, a brief end to the suffering. This is, this is what, generally this is true, true throughout the, out the world, isn't it? But those that are really in the mode of ignorance, uh, we see that they spend most of their lifetimes uh, taking intoxications and becoming very lethargic and lazy and, and, and homeless. Sometimes people become homeless simply because they're, they become so dependent on uh, substances that they put into their bodies to give them some relief. 
that they they just lose all kinds of respect for themselves and and other people lose respect for them too. It's a very sad situation, and there are a lot of there are a lot of institutions that try to help them uh, to to bring themselves out, but sometimes it's very hard to do, and sometimes the intoxications the intoxicants that you use contribute to the mental problems that they have. And sometimes they just lose the ability then to function as proper human beings. On the other hand, the swan-like person seek out the places where there are culture and intelligence and dignity, you know, like civic centers and museums, and and they they will bring, you know, the, the, the purport of the text today talked about the literatures they, you know, cultured people bring literatures into their house and they teach their kids to read and they do all these nice things. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of those literatures that they bring into their house are the kinds of things that I thought I had to read back in the 1990s. And there was a period of time when I went over to our local library and I asked one man who was a librarian there, is, is is there a list of books that, you know, people should read? You know, all people should read these, at least these books, if not others. And he said, yeah, yeah, we got we got a list like that. And he went and made me a copy. And one of the categories was American authors. And another one was British authors. And then there was another one that like world Author, authors from from other parts of the world, and so I began going to half price books and other kinds of bookstores and picking up books and I, and bringing them back and I'd actually read them, and I kept those books until about just two or three years ago because I'd stopped reading them a long time ago. But uh, you know, books that were pretty amazing things like Leo Leo Tolstoy, uh, War and Peace, and and uh, Anna Karenina. And 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 so many things like that, and uh, classical music. I began listening to also about that time, uh, and, because I I never I, even though I was in the high school band and we played some classical music, uh, still uh, I felt that uh, maybe I should avail myself of some of the best music that has ever been produced. And I and then I found out that there were composers like Beethoven and Bach and Chopin and and so many others uh, that that I heard maybe a piece or two before, but I never really listened to them intently. So I got involved in that, and I still enjoy sometimes listening a little bit to some classical music. But I realize, on the other hand, that the literatures that I was reading and the music that I was listening to, even though it might have been of a little bit higher classification than the music that I grew up with, you know, rock and roll and country western music, things like that, uh, which really didn't have any any helpful message for people to to get. In other words, they help they were helping to propagate the ignorance that people are in. You know, and, and the and the performers that were lauded so much like Elvis Presley and others that came through at that time period what 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 was their music about? Love affairs between boy and girl, and and generally it was you know about how wonderful it is, and they they never really sang about glorification of the Lord. They never talked about how wonderful and beautiful the love relationship with the Lord could be, 
and even the religions at the time that I was growing up, I, I never found anybody who could give me enough information to tell me why I should keep that first commandment of the Bible, which is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right, who's doing it? You know, that's a question. Who's doing it? And how can they do it? If you don't know a person, how can you love him? And so those are questions that were that were would come up. So in the society that I grew up in, it was pretty nice. It was it's a, it was a rural environment. My wife and I grew up in the in the community, same community, a few miles apart. And there were people there that really cared about each other. You know, even though there was a lot of racism at that time, still predominant in the South. This was in rural Mississippi, and and uh, there was there were there was a lot of ignorance. In, uh, among all those people that we grew up with, still there was the there was a little there was a little bit of a higher uh, way of thinking among those persons that I had association with. You know, most of them were college bound. Uh, they were they, the kids were headed to college when they got out, when they got out of school. So this was rural Mississippi, and so I I followed the same thing, and I I thought that this is this is what we're supposed to do. Because I had no idea uh, of what was available uh, as far as religious practices are concerned. And it wasn't until I'd been out of college for about two or three years and, and my wife and I had, you know, had been married for that long and, and we were about to start our family and, and, uh, and then the whole scene turned very dark on me. And I couldn't understand the reason. I thought, I thought I was the one at fault and I could have been. But I, I, the first job, the professional job I ever had, I, I was told that I was fired. And I've, I've expressed this before in here. Uh, within a month or so of that time, this was Knoxville, Tennessee, I, was, I, was, I went to work with a big organization that produced power, electrical power, called the Tennessee Valley Authority. Worked with them for a couple of years, and, and by that time, uh, my head, there's so much head change going on in, in my head that uh, uh, I just, I had to get out and do something else. So that's when we bought the property up in the hills and we moved out there and started living there, very simply. But I found out that, that this, is not, this is not the path that you're destined to take, Rupa Nugodasa. So I had, I, we had to make a change. So we have to act and, re, and, and react according to our different lifestyles. So for people in the mode of darkness, then they suffered pretty much throughout their entire lives. They come into the world in a suffering situation, and they go through life suffering, and at the very end, it's just suffering. So it's suffering, suffering, suffering all the way through in the mode of ignorance. Occasionally, little glimpses of pleasure, but not very much. Then there are the persons who are in the mode of passion, uh, who enjoy some moments, you know, more, they have more pleasure in their lives because they're not, and they're not so addicted to the kinds of, of foodstuffs and drinks and activities that persons in the in the lowest mode are into, and 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 so they, their lives are somewhat better. But eventually, it all crumbles down on them because their bodies give up on them. Um, and you know, if you don't take proper care of the body, if you don't put the right kind of foodstuffs in it. And if you don't don't abstain from putting in a substances to change your you you know your attitude, then eventually your your body is going to give you all kinds of trouble. So we found that uh, that pleasure and miseries also come to one 
who are engaged in the service to the Supreme Lord, uh, Krishna consciousness. Uh, when we first came into the association of devotees, we thought, well, this is just this nicest place in the world. Now maybe our miseries are over. But that's not, that's not necessarily true, is it? Because we still bring reactions with us into this life. We, even when we come into this temple room, we bring our minds with us and our reactions from past from the past activities that we performed so we we have come to the understanding that yes there's going to be misery because that's the nature of this material world well and some people say well why couldn't god create a perfect world and of course the answer is yes and he did and we left it <laughs> and we came into this world which is not perfect Although it could be a lot nicer than we have found it to be if we simply follow the rule book. There are rules for living in this in this material world. And if we follow them, we can have a relatively pleasant life. But eventually it all it had, we have to give it up, just like the Pandavas did. You know, at the end of the Battle of Kutukshetra, they had a period of time when they went out and they they were enjoying their life in Hastinapur and Dwaraka. Uh, but eventually, uh, Krishna left the planet, and when he left the planet, he took everybody with him. You know, all those all those living entities, souls that have come with him from the from the spiritual world to take part in his pastimes on the planet. He just he just bundled them up and took them with him, and then so the Pandavas were left here, and they you know and uh, they were so they you know they things were pretty nice. Because they didn't have the detraction of their cousins, their ruthless cousins, the Kauravas. Uh, but nonetheless, neither did they have Krishna. And they had gotten very accustomed to having, to seeing Krishna around quite a lot. And when Krishna chose to go back to the spiritual world, in other words, to wind up his activities here on this planet, then they eventually had to go also. It was said that they, they made a stopover in the, in the heavenly planet of King Indra, who was the king of the demigods. And they stayed there with Indra and Indra's kingdom for a while and said, the, the, you know, it's, it's just indescri- almost indescribable to us the beauty and the pleasures that are available in the heavenly planets. And yet the Pandavas, even though they were there, they, their friend Krishna was not there. So they couldn't stay. So they had to go. So the material world is set up to to be to cause us enough misery that it, it that we you know we get to the point eventually our bodies begin to give out on us and we get to the point of saying I don't I don't want to be in this body anymore it's time for me to go and that's the whole purpose of it to give us a, a sampling of what it's like to be outside the spiritual world where we came from so why why is that why does Krishna make the world like this. Well, first of all, to give us the pleasure that we were seeking for. We wanted, we wanted pleasure outside of the heavenly kingdom, you know, the spiritual world. So he gave, us, he gave us this world to be in. But he gave us enough misery to, and in a shortness of life that we began to realize that this, this is all just worthless. Why should, why should we bother? Why should we want to come back into this world and do it all over again? So now, this is the necessary way that we have to go through life. And it's, it's, a, it's a benefit for us to compare uh, the lives uh, and the, the desires of persons who have this crow-like mentality and persons who have a swan-like mentality. And to come to the conclusion that 
if, if I've got to be with somebody, it's those swan-like persons that I want to be with. And so Prabhupada has given us the opportunity to, to do that. And so uh, we say, thank God for Prabhupada. Hare Krishna. We have a microphone somewhere. Comments or questions? Or I guess that's that's it. Comments or questions? Criticisms. Criticisms also accepted. Hi, Krishna. Yes. Thank you for creating such a um, a auspicious atmosphere um, through your recitation of Shrimad Bhagavatam. Um, this past Sunday, Srila um, Giriraj Maharaj, he um, mentioned that uh, someone asked him a question, you know, how do you get a taste for hearing? And he said, by associating with people who have a taste for hearing. How to, how to do what? How do you get a taste for hearing about Krishna? Oh. And his response was that you, um, you associate with people who have a taste for hearing about Krishna. I was wondering maybe if you could elaborate on that. How is it that if like a devotee has an intense taste for hearing about Krishna, he's able to translate, he or she is able to translate that same taste to another, another jiva? How, do, how did I develop a taste for alcohol? Alcohol didn't just come to me and say, here I am, try me. No, it had to be a person, didn't it? So by associating with persons that were consuming alcohol, smoking pot, I became attracted to those intoxicants. And it was only in 1977 when I started having the association of devotees that I, I said, all right, no more alcohol, no more marijuana. I never got into the heart of drugs. I'm very thankful for that. Because that could have wrecked my body and wrecked my brain, you know. And I saw that happen with some people. They did that. And I've seen, I've seen even among devotees, there's still, the, there's still some of, some of the desire to, uh, to become intoxicated, to have that mentality. So, uh, one of the best ways to, uh, to become attracted to anything is to be around a persons who are attracted to that same thing. If it, if it happens to be drugs, alright, so you hang out with people who do drugs. If it's alcohol, same thing. People smoking cigarettes all the time. It's a lot of fun to smoke cigarettes with people who are smoking. I thought at one time. But, I, you know, when, you, when I came into the association of persons who were godly, I thought, well, now this is cool. This, this, is, this, is, uh, this seems like where I belong. So just just by the influence of, of, of uh, those persons, the, the few devotees that I knew at that time, this was 1977, uh, just by associating with those persons at that time, I, I was able to put down the intoxicants. So to develop a taste for chanting the holy names, uh, as Giri Rajmaraj has said, the uh, best way to do it is to be with somebody who has a taste. And that's not only for, for chanting the holy names, that's for doing anything in this material world. You want to, you want to get into something in, uh, in particular. You know, we find, find that to be true with persons that enter a certain profession or a certain type of, of work, work, line of work. 
the best best way to do that is apprentice yourself. You know, go learn from somebody who already knows. And the same is true with spiritual life. You really want you want to learn uh, something more about spiritual life than you already know, and get get with somebody who knows more than you do. You want to you want to become stricter in your sadhana or stricter in your adherence to certain uh, vows that you've taken. Uh, hang out with people who are stricter in their in their vows and they're following following the vows vows. Rain. I'm hearing rain and on the roof here in Dallas, Texas. So that that would be, I I would just simply what I'm doing is that I'm echoing what uh, Giriraj Maharaj said. Just uh, you want to want to be like this person, you have to hang out with that person. One of the worst things we can probably do is to uh, stay to ourselves or hang out with the people that we've been hanging out with, the ones that are not helping us at all in making any advancement. And we're not able to help them make any advancement either because we don't have the desire for to be that strict with ourselves. So we, we, we want to become persons that other people will find helpful in their spiritual lives, making advancement in their spiritual lives. At least I do. You know, I, I would like to become a good person. I'm not a good person. I would like to become a good person so that I can help somebody else. You know, they can look at my life and say, hey, he looks like he's doing all right. Looks like he's happy. Maybe I should try what he's doing. Anything else? Thank you. Comments, questions, anything? All right. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Sisi Vadakalachandi ki jai. We offer our humble obeisances to all Vaisnava devotees of the Lord who dislike desire trees to fulfill the desires of everyone and who are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Banjakalpatarubis jai kripas nabiyeva jai, patidnanam bhavanimya Vaishnavibhanamonama, anattakoti Vaishnavinda ki jai.